Welcome to the drdavidmarlin.com Stable Science Podcast. I'm Dr. David Marlin, and along with a great team of experts, I'm helping horse owners and riders achieve optimal performance for their much-loved horses. In these podcasts, we will discuss science-led research, technology, information, and advice to help you care for your horses so they may live healthier, happier, and longer lives. To support the podcast and all our research and science for horses, go to our website, www.drdavidmarlin.com, and to learn more about what we do and the hot topics under discussion, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, this is Gillian Tabor, Chartered Physiotherapist, and I'm here for the Dr. David Marlin podcast. And if you're listening to this as soon as this has been released, well, Happy New Year. It's the beginning of January 2024. Uh, I'm in the UK. It's a very tough time of year if you own horses. The daylight hours are very minimal. And certainly where I am in the south of England, we have had ridiculous amounts of rain. It sort of feels like it hasn't stopped. Um, my land is saturated. Uh, fortunately, I have a small area that my horses can get out onto for a couple of hours a day, but they certainly can't stand out there um, for 24-7. So they are spending quite a long time in their stable. And it sort of triggered me to think about the things that we can do to help our horses when we're in these circumstances, not just perhaps because of the weather, but maybe because of restrictions in the yard that you're at. You know, some livery yards don't let people turn their horses out. Um, on specific days because of the ground conditions or maybe for sort of blocks of time over the winter because of the lack of space Um, and then also if you've got a horse that may be recovering from injury and it may need increasing time spent in the stable and it made me think about what we can do to help their mental and physical health. Now I have actually um, got a webinar on this. So if you look in the website on the Dr. David Marlin members side, there is a uh, webinar called Thinking Inside the Box. But um, some of those ideas I'm going to just talk through now because I think it's quite nice that um, we can share them. And if I can give you some prompts or some ideas as to what to do to help your horse whilst we're enduring this time of year, then um, I'd, I'd like to. 
So I just want to uh, briefly sort of touch on the mental health of your horse. I think it's something that we should all consider. Um, We obviously want our horses to be happy as possible. And and whilst they're in a stable, we can't provide them with that sort of natural environment that uh, we might sort of assume that you know, that's what they uh, will be uh, better off in. So we have to sort of try and replicate that. And we can do that with um, a variety of ideas that sort of include um, enrichment and, and also the sort of simple concept of the three Fs of friends, forage and freedom. Now, a lot of yards, they have um, sort of barriers between the stables, you know, high stable walls um, and only one sort of aspect where the horse can look out. So it's really important that when the horse does look out of that stable, they have got the ability to see uh, other horses. Um, If they are too small to look over the stable door, then I'd really recommend trying to modify the actual height of the door. Um, There's some very cute pictures on the internet of doors that have got holes cut in them for you know mini horses or Shetlands but actually a a strategy that I did for when my daughter had a small pony was I actually uh, swapped the top door and the bottom door around so I didn't have to do any carpentry except for you know just uh, a few screws and that worked really well because the horse then was able the pony was able to stand looking outside its stable uh, without having to reach up and stand in a, a sort of really high head position so that's a simple thing to do so they can see their friends but actually there is some indication that just seeing friends isn't quite enough it might be that actually um, it's better off for them to have physical contact now um, in livery yards you might not be able to cut holes in your walls um, but if you do have that option to have half height stable doors and the horse is stabled next to a horse that um, you consider that it gets on with um, you know not all people are friends and not all horses are friends but if there are horses that they actually um, have that bonds with then being able to rest a head over a partition uh, or put a nose through a window and actually have some physical contact is a really really nice thing you can actually sort of replicate that I've stood with my um, one of my horses that was on complete box rest after surgery I brought his friend up tied the friend outside the stable and they would spend some time mutually grooming uh, with their heads over the stable door which was quite nice that I could sort of try and um, provide them with that physical contact So that's with friends. Um, What we don't want is for a horse to be stabled entirely on their own where they can't see other horses. We know that that is likely to increase their stress levels and there's obviously a lot of consequences to that that we don't want to. So the second of the Fs is forage. Um, It's a little bit uh, challenging to try and balance the um, amount that they are needing to eat, whether that is restricting it because they have an excess in body condition or you need to actually get them to put on body condition um, and also to manage this idea that they mustn't be without forage um, you know for long periods of time now this is where you need to engage the uh, expertise of your vet or your uh, nutritionist just to make sure that you are meeting those sort of minimum needs for them uh, I find it quite hard I've got two different horses one is a, a thoroughbred type who will you know she'll have hay in her hay net uh, in the morning and 
And then the other one, Milo Sitano, actually hoovers up every single strand of the hay. He has got excess body condition that I would really prefer for him to lose this time of year. Um, and she um, she's not underweight, but I certainly don't want her to become too lean because um, she's going to be eventing this season. So trying to match their nutritional needs with both their exercise levels and um, their sort of basic body type um, is a challenge. So yeah, getting help for that is important. What you must also consider uh, is how that forage is delivered. Now, if you're trying to restrict forage, then the general advice is using a device that uh, creates slow feeding. So that might be, you know, a hay net that has smaller holes, thicker um, sort of strands in it. And it could be that you double net your hay. It could also be that you use one of these sort of dustbin-like slow feeders. There's a few on the market. Um, some are quite pricey and I've sort of been tempted by uh, one or two at a time. And um, I think, you know, I will save up for them because they do look like they help you with if you're needing to soak your hay, um, but also to restrict the speed of intake. Because the slower and the longer that they take to eat their food, then that's going to be better because that just slows it sort of transit through the digestion system um, helping to always have food in the gut um, but it, when you do that you're obviously going to create sort of artificial feeding heights now uh, when they're out grazing their head's going to be down on the ground so some people will say you know I'll always feed from the floor from a purely economical point of view that can be expensive if your horse drags their very expensive hay or haylage around into their bedding and then won't eat it um, that's a challenge so you know you might be able to set up a corner or, or block off a corner with um, a couple of planks of wood to create some kind of sort of manger to keep the hay in um, but also uh, we have to think about what we know now about uh, how horses did uh, graze sort of in feral environments they don't spend 100% of their time eating the grass from the ground they might go and browse they might go through hedges and trees and have their head up and reaching up and to the side and the proportion of that is roughly estimated to 80% grazing and 20% uh, browsing so what we could do is in our stable we could think about replicating that uh, sort of those environmental changes so could it be that you put a small um, hay net with sort of larger holes higher up uh, a, a small netted hay net lower down and then a bit on the ground and then also have them in different positions in the stable as if you always have the hay net to the left and the door to the right the horse is going to be repeating a pattern of movement that um, is going to be the same day in day out basically so if you were to move the hay net to the back of the stable or to have it sort of more centrally um, but just to have a variety of locations for it I think that's going to be really good for them. Um, and then the other thing for forage, and I know this has been covered in a, another um, webinar and a podcast, is to think about sort of enrichment toys and how you use them. And both for enrichment toys and these slow feeders, you do have to consider the mental state of the horse. Are they getting frustrated? Are they struggling to access the food? Um, you know, are they looking to damage the, the um, toy? And I'm just laughing because I, I've had um, one of my clients' horses was um, quite a... a 
a sort of a heavier build and would be quite capable of standing on these um, treat balls and he'd break them each time. Each time she tried, the owner tried to provide him with enrichment. All he did is he just stood on it and ate the um, treats out of it. So that wasn't very good. Um, but some of these are, you know, they are quite useful. But just watch how your horse interacts with it. Um, and also watch that it doesn't disturb all the other horses. Um, some of those treat balls, when they sort of slam it around the stable, can be, you know, quite a sort of threatening sound. And then the third F is freedom. Now, I've already mentioned that your turnout might be restricted. And if that's the case, then um, we're going to have to replicate movement. You know, horses are evolved to move. They're not evolved to stand in the box. Even if you exercise them for, say, 40 minutes a day, they're still stood in the box the rest of the time. If you're in a yard and they've got a uh, walker, a horse walker, um, I know there's sort of various um, opinions and controversies around using using a horse walker. Um, and if your horse is safe on it, you know, is not sort of kicking, bucking and generally trying to damage themselves on it, then my personal opinion is that I'd rather see a horse on a horse walker, uh, you know, a couple of times a day than stood in their box not moving. Now, I know it's not ideal and some people will disagree with me, but to me, to my mind, actually moving um, is better than standing still. Obviously, the ultimate would be that you exercise your horse, but you might be limited in daylight hours, for instance. But have you thought about, you know, going out for walks in hand, um, taking the horse out, uh, for an active and purposeful movement is, is going to be useful. And if you can't ride because you don't have you know, daylight and you don't have lights, then there are things that you can do from the ground in very low light levels that might be safe to do, whereas riding might not be. So what about setting up some obstacles in a small area where you can slalom and you can turn around, you can stop and start at, or using poles. So using poles that walk uh, in low light levels, um, you know, the horse should be able to negotiate those and um, you're not going to be sort of unsafe by being on them. So that's a sort of an option to do. And then just a push to do groundwork. Some really, really good strategies are to do in-hand work, um, sort of along the lines of those that um, you think about for sort of back rehab, thinking about influencing their posture, thinking about ensuring that you've got um, equal bend to the left and right, thinking about being able to perhaps do some lateral work, some leg yielding or some shoulder in or turns around the forehand. Uh, all of that can be done from the ground with a single rein attached to a caverson. Uh, or actually, you know, you can use two reins attached to a caverson and onto a bit. You know, there's there's lots of information about that. And if you want any more about that, then, you know, do get in touch with me. Um, but yeah, allowing the horse to move as often as possible is really um, a, a way forward uh, to try and negate the, well, try and manage the negative effects of standing still. We all know that if we stay still, we uh, stiffen up. And that's because, you know, our soft tissues are then less pliable, they're less flexible, we tend to get less mobility in our joints. Um, there's a lot of research onto the effects of immobility uh, and mobilisation, and that will affect the horse as much as it will uh, affect a person who was, you know, ill and in bed. So we need to think, consider that actually movement um, getting them out and the box is something we want to do. However, 
If you can't get them out of the box for whatever reason, uh, whether it is because of um, sort of environmental constraints or health constraints, there are quite a few exercises that you can do in the stable to sort of try and replicate some movement. So there are exercises such as wither rocking or tail rocking, pelvic um, uh, shifts, sort of either side to side or backwards and forwards. Um, and then, of course, we have got our wonderful carrot stretches and uh, there's quite a lot to look at and the members site for that as well. Um, but if you want help being pointed in the right direction, then just drop us an email and we'll send you some links to those. Uh, what we're doing with those is that we are wanting to um, have active movement as much as possible and for them to be dynamic and for the horse to initiate them. Um, static stretches at end of range are not really ideal if the horse is just stood still. Uh, we want more dynamic motion so that's why we can use food as a reward, um, sort of as a bait really. Um, but just be careful as to how you use that and what you choose to use as your bait. Um, there are some ground rules that I apply with my horses. You know, they know when food is um, for exercises and when those exercises finish. Um, you can also use, you know, you can use carrots, but you some people will use the molasses licks to stop snatching. Um, obviously, take care if your horse has got um, sort of metabolic problems to consider that. But there are ways around it. The other thing is, is that you can use targeting. So um, using positive reinforcement training to try and um, create that dynamic movement is another way of doing it as well. Now, taking your horse through um, their sort of... Uh, available range of movement is one thing but what we're not talking about is forcing them beyond their sort of comfortable range because they are motivated to get that treat or that food over and above thinking about their own sort of end of range so you know li limit how far you do them to start with and also um, think about perhaps doing them either before exercise or after exercise and then why you might choose to do either of those scenarios. One other thing that um, you can do to your horse to help their soft tissues is to actually massage your horse. Massaging doesn't have to be something that's formal or you have to be trained to do. Getting your hands on your horse, getting um, some uh, movement between the skin and the underlying tissues, using your hands or even using a, a massage, um, one of those sort of rubber knobbly things or the other devices, the rollerballs that we've um, reviewed as well. Those are uh, good to use and there's no it's unlikely that you're going to do anything wrong with massage, so don't be fearful about that. Just mainly stick to the big bulks of the muscle and look at your horse's response. There's going to be areas that they really like you interacting with and then there are going to be areas that they aren't so happy with you touching. So just take care of yourself and obviously from a health and safety point of view, just position yourself where you're not going to get kicked, bitten or knocked over. There are sweet spots of the horse that they'll love. So, you know, I really urge you to go and find those. So those spots that you get and you scratch and the horse then pulls some um, funny faces, that's really, really good because you're both, you know, you're, you're giving your horse a, a sort of a, a nice experience, but also you're the one that's doing that. So the horse feels good and it associates you with doing that as well. So um, that's uh, something uh, to consider as well. But yeah, with massage, um, just, you know, pick an area and, and sort of focus on that for a little bit of a time uh, and see what response you get and see how your horse um, is uh, uh, enjoying what you're doing to them. And one final 
um, sort of area to consider during this time of year is to use the time that you might not be able to ride to actually plan for your year ahead. So um, it's obviously goal setting around sort of competitions and planning your training and things. But what about checking out what you're going to do with regards to timing, perhaps the um, your horse's teeth being checked or when your saddle is going to be checked? Those uh, professionals often get booked up a long time in advance. So why not use the time to plan ahead and get a couple of appointments in the diary with them? I know that they'll appreciate it just as much as you'll be reassured that you've got that all set in um, stone. And then you can also take the time to assess your horse. So what I recommend is taking some photographs, perhaps taking some video of their movements, um, you know, having a look at their foot balance, having a chat with your farrier about shoeing intervals, having a chat with your nutritionist about their body condition score, um, you know, maybe looking at them from a postural point of view, thinking, well, what can I address? What do I um, have the ability to change during the winter or what... Uh, do I want to have in my mind that I want to affect when I uh, am able to get working um, as sort of soon as possible? And then, you know, the sort of general health checks as well at this time of year, looking uh, certainly for skin conditions with this where we are at the moment here, which is wet and damp and mild. I think that's sort of, you know, a, a, a an area uh, the skin is something that we need to keep an eye on because this kind of conditions is likely to have an increased risk of uh, skin problems and again you know just point you to the members website there's some uh, information from I think Dr Kieran O'Brien talked about skin conditions um, things like mud fever um, and then also um, sort of planning what you're going to do with regards to clipping your horse, um, keeping them warm, rugging, you know, and all those kinds of things. And if you're not looking at your horse, if you've got a bit of spare time, then there's no harm in um, cleaning some tack, tidying up your tack room and uh, perhaps finding the bits that you don't use anymore and putting them up to sale uh, and getting a bit of cash in that you can spend on your horse for the coming year. So with that, I wish you a happy new year. Thank you very much for your time and uh, for listening. And um, yeah, I'll be back soon with uh, uh, another podcast. So thank you and goodbye. I hope you enjoyed this podcast and the Stable Science series. If you want to learn more about this topic and our work, head over to the drdavidmarlin.com website. Our website and community of members discuss a wide breadth of topics and the website houses thousands of articles, webinars, videos and research, all designed to help horse owners, riders, trainers and breeders achieve optimal performance for their much-loved horses. The drdavidmarlin.com site is an independent information resource for all equestrians, a source of unbiased, science-based research. To learn more about what we do and the hot topics under discussion, follow us on Facebook, Instagram or Twitter.